morning. It is always good to be with you. It's especially good to be with you today as we think about we're coming up on Thanksgiving and we just simply get to pause and say, God, we thank you. We don't know all that's going on around us, but we know you're in control of it and we give you thanks. It's also a good day to be at Southcrest because we're going to have the opportunity to ordain four men as elders of your congregation. Now you say, how are we going to do that? Because I don't see them and what's going on. I want to go ahead now and invite you, if you will, to stay around if you can for the first 15 minutes of the second service. So that's the way we're going to incorporate everyone. We're going to be in here, then we're going to take the first 15 minutes of the second service, and we're going to pause and have a time of ordination and uh, just setting some men apart to ministry to not only to live and to serve the Lord, but to lead and to serve this congregation. So end of this service, hang around for the small group time, first 15 minutes of the second service, and then we're going to make it happen, um, and then that service will go into worship following. Go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to the book of the Psalms, Psalms one, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Now, hold your place there and stay with me because I've, I've got to do some things to get us there. Um, but as I get us there, I'm going to use some other scriptures that you can jot down or they'll be on the screen and you can read them as I go. But I want to have this thought with you this morning. Who is far from God but close to you? Who are the people in your life that are far from God but yet they're close to you, close enough that you're in a relationship with them so that you can tell them how near God is to you? See, that's evangelism. Evangelism is taking my Jesus story and finding people that are far from God and sharing that story with them so that they would be drawn and brought into a personal relationship with God. Now, I want to tell you, there are some things that actually create chaos in my life. They create chaos to the point that I get distracted. I get so distracted that I need a reminder sometimes about what God really set me apart to do, what God redeemed me to do, what God called me to do in, in my life, not just as a minister, but just as simply as a child of God. And man, maybe you've been there, but I want to tell you we're in good company because Jesus got there. Go read through the New Testament. And what you're going to find out is that when life got to crowding in on Jesus, it said that he would get apart. He would go to a place and he would pray. He would go to a place and he would spend time, spend time and he would reflect on not just why he was here, but he would reflect on that he needed God to pour into him. He could not always be the one pouring out. In fact, as we think about that and we think, okay, this seems so complicated. Life's just happening around and it's happening fast. What are the things in life that I know that I can always know that God called me to do? I'm going to tell you that the first thing that there is is there's an unchanging mission. In fact, if you remember, there's a conversation that Jesus was having with some religious people of, of all things, religious people who were trying to trip him up, religious people who were trying to, to make him actually look silly in a crowd. And they looked at him and said, hey, Jesus, out of all the laws that there are in the Bible or in, the, in, the, in our religion, didn't have the Bible at that time, but and out of all the laws in our religion, what is the most important? Now, Jesus, not being a dummy and the religious people in the room being intelligent people, knew there were about 613 things 
that Jesus had to decipher through very quickly to give this answer. And being Jesus and being God and being a man who was sold out to God, he said, you know what? I'll tell you what's the greatest. In Matthew 22, 37, 30 through 39, he said, the greatest is this, love the Lord. And with really without much pause or hesitation, but just probably only for dramatic effect, he actually said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor. So man, we were just, Luke was just talking about knowing the will of God and it's the will of God to give thanks in everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. We can also know that it's the will of God for me to love him supremely. Now when I love him supremely and he loves me back, I pretty quickly began to realize, hey, wait a minute. He wants me to love people, not on, but only does he want me to love people. I actually do love people. And so the will of God is to, to, to love God and is to love people. And it's not only is it the unchanging mission to love God and love people, but he said, let me just give you a little bit of how I want you to live out this unchanging mission. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all I've commanded you. So Jesus said, while you're loving God and you're loving people, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to evangelize them. He said, I want you to disciple them. That means get in a a one-on-one life relationship so that you can pour into each other. He said, I want you to baptize them. He said, man, I want you to put the wedding ring of Christ on them. The baptism that just simply says, man, I am a follower of Jesus. So it's this unchanging mission, love God, love people, evangelize, baptize, disciple. But you know, he actually told us where he wanted us to go and do that. Because in Acts 1.8, it says, and when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. And then he says, where? In Jerusalem, right? That's the hometown, Judea, that's the region, Samaria and the outer parts of the earth. And then all of my life, I lived in Jerusalem thinking, man, this is cool. I'm going to reach some people. I was actually good with Judea and the outer parts of the earth. And then one day God said, have you ever thought about Samaria? Samaria is not the place you went to. Samaria was the place you went around. Samaria was the place where the Samaritans lived that you didn't even want to be caught dead talking to them. Remember Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman and the disciples of all people walked up to him and said, dude, what are you doing? And Samaria, I mean, think about the context here. You've got a Jewish preacher talking to a Jewish audience, quoting a Jewish Messiah saying, walk into that place that nobody wants to go. But man, I want to tell you something. That's one thing that we need to look and say, Lord, where's my Samaria? But you also have to understand that sometimes Samaria moves into your neighborhood. Sometimes Samaria is not a place we go, but it's a people we reach out to. And then Jesus said, I've got an unchanging mission I want you to take to uncharted places. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, this early church that had just come out of chaos, I mean, literally chaos, the Messiah has been um, crucified. They don't know what to do. And now they're sitting there and Jesus says, I want you to build my church. I want you to become this organization, this living organism of individuals who unite together around 
the cross and the blood and the resurrection. And I know that they're sitting there going, okay, God, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing to love you and I'm willing to love people and I'm willing to go to some places that I don't yet fully understand all that that means, but I'm ready. But God, when I get there, what do I do? And pretty quickly in those verses in Acts chapter two, we see this church beginning to worship. We see this church beginning to disciple. We see this church beginning to be good stewards of their resources. We see this church beginning to fellowship and to minister. And now, all of a sudden, in my chaotic world, where I'm caring for aging parents, where I'm in job transition, where I serve pastors whose churches and lives are, are just in, under pressure, it helps to step back and look forward and say, wait a minute, I can't do everything, but man, God, I can love you. And I can love the people that you put into my path. And God, I can love them enough to, to tell them about Christ. I can love them enough to talk to them about what it means to have a personal relationship. I can even walk with them, God, and help them to understand how to be a better follower of yours. So today, out of all of those things that we saw that early church do, and you can read again in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, I want to talk to you about evangelism. I want to talk to you about the one thing that everybody can do no matter how long you've been a follower of Christ. Evangelism is simply taking what God did for you and communicating it to somebody else. Last night, we were at Callaway Gardens and we were in the uh, fantasy of lights and we had our two grandchildren. One is two and uh, one is one and one is three. And the three-year-old walked by the na nativity scene and said, that's baby Jesus. And we did. And man, it was a kneel down conversation moment that was about that deep theologically, but yet about that deep for eternity. And we said, that baby was born for you. And, and my daughter's pregnant. And he said, and mommy's going to have a baby. And I said, yes. And we got to just simply talk about this Virgin Mary. It's just who is not yet close to God, but close to you. I want to talk to you this morning about what God tells us. And now, go with me now. Let's get to Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. And here it is. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you did not give us a complicated formula that can't be figured out, but you gave us a clear path of relationship that can be fully understood. And one of those things that we clearly understand this morning is that you have called us to be witnesses. Witnesses of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried in a tomb, that he rose again. Witness of the fact that, that he stepped into our lives and transformed us and renewed us and made us a new creature. Witnesses of the fact that when I was in the valley that you held me up. Witness of the fact that when I got arrogant that you kept me humble. Witness of the fact that you've provided, God. 
You've called us to be witness. And in this passage this morning that we're about to look at, you show us some, just some, some good truth that help us to live out what you've called us to do and be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so in this passage, Psalm 126, verse 6, the first thing that we see if we're going to live out the will of God in our lives is we see an action. Look at it. It says, he who continually goes forth. There's an action there. There's a target of opportunity. That literally means as you go, you're looking for people. You're looking for opportunities, targets of opportunity, divine appointments, people, again, who are far from God but close to you, or maybe people that God just dropped into your life today. Do you every day say, God, I don't know who you're going to bring, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to live this day in isolation. So, God, because I'm not going to be in isolation, I'm looking right now for the one moment that we can have a conversation. I told you about my evening last night. Well, it's kind of a family tradition. We go to the Bullock House in Warm Springs. We go to the Callaway Gardens, and we look at lights. Well, last night, everybody in there, whoever they knew, decided they wanted to eat at the Bullock House. So, you know, they open at 5 o'clock. You got to get in line, except there's no line, so there's chaos. Well, my son is with me, and I'm with me, and my wife says, I don't want to be last in that line. I want to be front in that line. So we get there early, not so we push our way through, but we literally get there an hour early to stand so we can be close to the line. Well, people start to gather, and there's this one lady who walks up, and you can tell she is so uncomfortable about having to stand there. She feels like she's being a bully. She's feeling like she ought to let somebody come in front of her. And there's one man that feels like he ought to be at the front of the line. He doesn't care if she feels bad. So he starts just kind of nudging his way through. And this lady, you could tell she was getting nervous. She was getting frustrated. She made eye contact with my son. And my son went over and sat next to her, stood next to her, which then created conversation. And she said, thank you. I was feeling uncomfortable, but I felt like also he was taking advantage. So then that led to a conversation because on a hat on a hat that said Georgia Baptist because I might would have been the one pushing, except I remembered who I was representing. That's who I worked for. And she looked and she said, tell me about your job. What do you do? And we started talking about Jesus. And when they finally opened the door, this lady looked at my son and said, would you please go in front of me, you and your family? Which then led, they sat us next to each other. We prayed, they prayed, we had conversation. And as we were leaving, that lady just simply looked and said, you could stand in line with me anytime. And I was like, God, I don't understand that divine appointment, but we got to talk about Jesus. We got to show kindness. We got to, in our moment that was to me, a waste of time because we could have pushed our way through the line, but my wife said, get in the front. You allowed that. So, Lord, I'm going to go forth. As I go forth, I'm ready to strike. I'm ready to have conversation, not to be a brute, not to be a push, but to just simply be an agent of conversation. 
where I can tell who you are. In fact, you say, well, I don't know if that's me, but I got to tell you, if you go through the scripture, Matthew 28, 28, it says, go and make disciples. Matthew 22 says, go to the street corners and invite them. Luke 14, 23 says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. You see, I can go and not be a bully. I can go and tell people about Christ and walk with them and beside them and love them and serve them. So this psalmist who's writing this this passage here to us, who's giving us this, this understanding of what God is asking of his people, the first thing he says to us is go. He who continually goes forth. And you say, I'm, I don't know how to go. You just go. You go and be available and watch God provide. And he will give you people and individuals and opportunities to have this conversation. But look, it not only tells us to go in verse 6, he who continually goes forth, it tells us how to go. It says, I want you to go weeping. And the key to fertile fields is brokenness. And maybe the first step for evangelism for you today is to God, would you cause me to be broken over people who are far from you, people who if they died today would spend eternity in hell. God, I want to know how to speak to you for you. I'm going, God. And God, I'm going broken knowing that all around me people are being separated from you for all of eternity. God uses brokenness. And God can use your brokenness. God can use the bad things in your life for his good or either he's a liar. Because he said, I will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. In my, in my job as in pastor wellness for Georgia Baptist, I recently had to interview a lady for a presentation, her and her husband. And in August of 2020, their three-year-old child tragically and accidentally drowned. On August the 3rd, she was set to have a C-section on August the 4th, the very next day. The doctor postponed it, and they had the C-section one week later. So on August the 3rd, she is standing over the lifeless body of her child. On August the 10th, she is welcoming a new baby into their life. In October of 2020, she's standing in front of a group of people and she's sharing the story of how God was faithful and how God provided and how God protected and how God sustained and how it was the presence of the Holy Spirit that allowed them to go on and how God not only was with her inwardly, but he surrounded her with people outwardly. She said, who were doing, they were doing my dirty laundry. But out of that, people came to know Christ. And it doesn't lessen the tragedy of losing a child, but it makes it bearable and it gives it hope and purpose that, okay, God, in my pain, somebody is going to heaven. You see, it's go forth, it's go as we go, but it's going with the emotion, God, I don't want to waste my life. God, I want to use it for you. In fact, if you just think about some examples of brokenness in Scripture, Moses, God withdrew his hand of anger against the rebellious house of Israel because Moses prayed. 
Hannah could not have a child, but in 2 Samuel, she said, Lord, I will give you this child for life. And we have one of the great passages of Scripture where she says, Lord, for this child I prayed. And lives were changed through the brokenness. Esther, Esther walked into the king knowing that it could cost her her life. But yet she was broken over the people of Israel. And you know the story. She went to the king and God spared the nation. Paul, the early church. So the writer of the psalm says to us, I want you to go. He says, I want you to go in the emotion of weeping. I want you to go broken over the fact that people are far from God. But look, he says, he who goes forth weeping Bearing seed for sowing. That's the goal of relationships. That's the goal of, of the believer is to bear the seed. Now, all through Scripture, we find out that the seed is the gospel. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So yes, we want to go in benevolence, and yes, we want to go in mercy, and yes, we want to go in kindness and grace. But all, if all we do is go in goodness, kindness, mercy, and grace, and we never interject the fact that there, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. I'm coming in the name of the one who died on the cross for you so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could have him in your life. That's what God's calling us to do. He says, I want you to go forth. I want you to bear seed. I want you to understand from me that Jesus is not a way. He's the way that Jesus is not a life, but he's the life. He's not one of the truths. He is the truth. And you see, Southcrest Church, as you are in this season where you're seeking, Lord, who is our next pastor? You need to begin praying. God, give him a passion to go. God, give him a passion for people. God, give him a passion for the gospel, not only to, to live it out, but to be one who proclaims it and trains us to go and do it so that people can be reconciled to you, God the Father. I mean, to this point, if we stopped right now, we could, we could understand that what God is telling us to do, one of the things that God's telling us to do as the church is to weep and sow, weep and sow, weep and sow. And in our prayer times, God, who are they? Lord, by name. And I would ask you this on a personal level right now. In your prayer journal, in your prayer time, in your quiet time, do you have a list of people that you know that if life ended for them today, they'd be separated from God? Are you praying for people to be born again? Are you praying by name and specifically? I was challenged early by my mom. Chris, always pray for somebody. by name, and be willing to be the anybody that could go. So this morning, who are you praying for? Do you have a, an active list? So he's told us, I want you to go. He says, I want you to go weeping. He says, I want you to go and go weeping with the gospel. 
But look, he goes on and he says, Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bearing his sheaves with him. There's a guarantee there. There's a guarantee that you will come back rejoicing. It actually doesn't officially say that you will always lead somebody to the Lord or people will say yes, but you will come back rejoicing because you have heard the command and you've gone and the responsibility of regeneration is not yours, it's God's. God doesn't tell me to win people, God tells me to go and tell people. And if I go and tell, then the responsibility is on him for the conviction that leads to regeneration. God, I'm coming. I'm going today. But it does say that there will be people that come because it says they will doubtless come again rejoicing with his sheaves with him. You may be the person that says, Jesus Somebody else may be the person that says Jesus saves. Somebody else may be the person that says that Jesus saves and he wants to save you. And it may be somebody entirely different that they actually bow their head and say, today, I want that. Was the person who got to be in the room when they bowed their head more successful with you? Absolutely not. The success was that you went and played the part that God called you to play. It's very easy to say, I've shared the gospel 10 times and nobody's ever prayed to receive Christ, so it must not be my gift. No, you may be the one that till the soil, somebody else waters the soil, and somebody else gets to pick the fruit. We have a fig tree at our house that we did not plant, we have not watered, and we have done very little to that fig tree, but every year we get to go pick the fruit because somebody else prepared the way. It's the same with the gospel. It's the same. So this thought, and this is how I'm gonna close it. Sharing the gospel. How many of you have ever heard of the Roman road? Okay, if not, let me tell you what it is. It's It's a series of passages in scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote by the divine appointment of God, inspired by God, that clearly points someone who is far from God to the place where they can not only be close to God, but in a personal relationship with God. So for example, if you took Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then I can get that. I'm a sinner. Most everybody can understand that they've done things that aren't morally good or, or humanly acceptable or they've, They've done something. So now if we can help them understand that that sin causes them to fall short. I remember one night I was sharing the gospel with a group of young men who had come to our church to play basketball. And they weren't getting the concept. But yet that night, because of the context, we talked about basketball. And I took the basketball and I intentionally shot an air ball. That's not hard for me, but that time I did it on purpose that time. And I said, what was the goal? And one of the guys said, it was the goal for you to ring the basket. I said, absolutely, but I fell short. And because I fell short and I didn't go in there, I missed the goal. See, can I tell you that's what sin did in my life? Sin made me an air ball. God wanted me to ring the hoop of of his will and his glory and his purpose. But because of sin, I missed it. 
And you can see the light bulb coming on. Hey, wait a minute. I'm an air ball. Yes, you are. But Romans 5, 8 says, while I'm still an air ball, Christ died for me. It says, in fact, it says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died. And I took one of the young guys that was very much capable and tall enough to, to take the ball and dunk it. And so this time I shot an air ball, but I instructed him, hey, but when it's about to be an air ball, what I want you to do is jump up and grab that basketball and I want you to slam it home. And he did. And we made the conversation, hey, look, I was an air ball. But while I was an air ball, Jesus jumped up and slammed me through the hoop. Just a little bit more understanding. And this is what Christ did for me. So Romans 3.23, I'm a sinner. Romans 5.8, while I'm a sinner, Jesus died. Romans 6.23 helps me to understand for the wage of sin is death. In other words, what I deserve for being a sinner, what I deserve for being an air ball, is death, comma, but Christ died for me. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Jesus died. And you see, that's the gospel. I started out far from God. I'm on a path that keeps me far from God, but in the middle of that journey, Jesus jumps in and intersects it, and he, he turns me where I was far from God. He loves me. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. He went into the tomb, and he rose again. And he put me back in right relationship. And now I'm asking the question, okay, I'm far, but now how do I, how do I seal the deal with Romans um, John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. So you got to interject that there. But then Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as you go through life, building these relationships with people who are close to you, but they're far from God, you begin to earn the right to have the conversation See, look, this is it. This is a, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. But Jesus died. And Jesus says that if you'll call on me, that I can restore this fellowship, this relationship with God the Father. And so maybe this morning is twofold. In the room, online. Do you know that you know? I always like that phrase. Do you know that you know? That if you died today, you would spend eternity in heaven with God the Father? I mean, it ends. It's over. Would you be in heaven? That's not a question of condemnation. That's a question out of concern and a love for you. Because you see, what did we just sing about? Is As long as I'm alive, God is not done. And if you don't have the assurance of that personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, if you don't know that if you died today, you would spend eternity in heaven, then can I ask you why you're waiting? Why are you holding back? And this morning, would you come to Jesus? Would you cry out to him and say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Jesus, I want what this Bible speaks of. I want this intimacy that I read about.
Or perhaps you know that you're born again. Are you ready today to live out Psalm 126? God, I'm ready to go forth. That just means I'm going. And I'm going to go forth with the understanding that there are people you want me to have conversations with. And God, I'm going to look for opportunities to tell them about you. And God, I'm going to hold you to your promise. I'm going to hold you to that. That there will be people who will come to know the great God of heaven that loves them so much. You see, Southcrest, this is not a holding pattern for you waiting on a pastor to get here to tell you what to do. This is actually a mobilization moment to say, God, I'm going to be already doing what you've called us to do so that when we get here, we don't waste time trying to figure it out, but we join in the game. We're ready. So let's pray.